Hello everyone, uh, live from San Francisco as usual. This is episode five of the Landscape Mode podcast. I am your co-host, Ike DiLorenzo. And I'm Justin McGann. Okay, today I know we usually overwhelm you with four topics, five topics. We have only two topics because they are just so big. The first is wearable computing. More of an issue here in San Francisco, but just wait, it'll be an issue for you too soon. And the second topic is iOS 7 Specifically, iOS 7, the iBeacons, the so-called iBeacons that are part of iOS 7 that are going to monitor you and annoy you everywhere you go. The so-called iBeacons. It's a way to put them down yes, in I, an I objective, journalistic way. Yes, very objective. Okay. And so, and we, we, uh, we have a guest with us today. Uh, I'll have him introduce himself. Hello, this is David Klein. I'm a designer at MoveWeb. And David's going to talk to us about his his specific experience with wearable computing from a designer's point of view. So, obviously, in the news this week, the the thing that isn't iOS seven that's in the news are the eight, ten, twelve, depending how much you count vaporware and how much you count real watches of smart watches. Yeah, there's a uh, Samsung came out with their announcement for the watch. They they undercut uh, Apple's event. And uh, I just added that yeah, out. and the, and and we both we looked at the Samsung ads, the Samsung ads that appear on their website where humans are depicted in sort of a pale kind of dead gray, and yes. then the human hands are holding digital pens, holding cell phones at the same time, which is hard to do, and wearing a Samsung digital watch. And you felt like the watches were. The, the wa- that the the watches were wearing the humans. Yeah, it, it was bizarre, especially the way that the shot was cropped. That was really like, yes, it's so frightening. Like, it's frightening. It, it, we need we don't we aren't dependent enough on our digital devices. We have to have yet another digital device whose main purpose is to communicate with the second di- digital device. That we yeah, have. Uh, we're gonna get into all of this, but I contend that the. Right now, wearable computing, especially the watch, is the equivalent of the cell phone holster in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like the the tiny little convenience that you get from wearing the a smartwatch, you don't have to pull a phone out of your pocket. Completely not yes. worth it. And and you remember the prestige that accrued to people who had the largest possible palm phones. That's right. You need the holster. Yeah. And and this is a chance for me, just as an aside, to slam my favorite web conferencing service, ReadyTalk, who on their uh, on their website, they advertise, uh, they talk about um, if you have Lotus Notes or use a Palm phone, and then before you start your ReadyTalk, they ask you to, quote, please place all your cell phones and Blackberries away from the microphone. <laughs> So so maybe like watches some people are still thinking about this sort of bling. I guess so. Um the weirdest watch that I saw was the Nissan watch. Nissan watch, which is I just say a Fitbit for your car. That's essentially what it is. It it is just the weirdest thing. It looks a little bit like a handcuff. It looks like one part of a handcuff because it goes like a like the futuristic handcuffs. Like in the movie Fortress. Right. It's a brace. It's got a bracelet look to it. Yeah. It's and got it, a one-piece bracelet look to it. And it doesn't do much except um, 
help you keep track of what's going on in the car because maybe you prefer to look at your wrist? What it does is it tells you things like how much distance you've gone, how fast you are going, what how your average speed is. Even though there's a giant speedometer right. in front if, of you. If only we had something inside <laughs> the vehicle to look at that would show me these things. But wait, you can also use the watch because when you're driving 100 miles an hour, you want to look at your wrist. Yes. Right. You can Fall look away from the road. And you can, you can use the screen on your wrist to tweet to your friends that you're going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> And then our joke was, of course, hopefully the wrist device tweets when your airbags are deployed right. soon after when you crash. Ironically, that we were just uh, talking about this. That is the only watch I would wear. Out of all the wearable watches I've seen so far, that was the only one that was sort of more of a jewelry item. This is David speaking. Yes, that looked elegant and pretty, as opposed to a tiny box computer on my wrist. Yeah, I mean, that... that there's certainly art has not come into the smartwatch market, but I'll disagree with you. There's one other that I would actually wear. And it is currently available in only one store in the United States. It's available at the Ralph Lauren store in New York City, if you're in New York. Um, for people in Europe, for our many listeners in Europe, uh, it's called It's Watch. It's an Italian design company that has produced a smartwatch, which is an interesting take. Most of these other watches, we'll go through the list, are technology companies that have produced terribly ugly watches. This Italian company called It's Watch has produced a truly beautiful smartwatch. Uh, it looks great, um, but I, and like all the smartwatches, there isn't a huge use for it except to keep track of what's going on in your cell phone in your bag. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was talking with David about earlier. It's, I don't think this the smartwatch is going to take off with technology companies making watches. It's going to be watch companies making smarter watches. I hope so. It's got to be a beautiful piece of jewelry that has Bluetooth or whatever you you know put in it. And maybe if it takes the concept of just showing notifications, if we accept that that is actually relevant and important to improve our lives, that could be interesting. I want 70% jewelry, 30% technology, not 99% technology, 1% yeah, jewelry. Right. Well, that, that's have. the thing. Yeah. It's, we, everyone's talking about this like it's a device. It's not a device. It's a phone accessory. Yeah. It doesn't do anything by yes. itself. It's just for, for you to get notifications on your wrist instead of having to pull out your phone. And I can see some benefit to that. Like, someone calls me, instead of pulling out my phone, I can look at my wrist to see who's calling. I can get push notifications to it. I can get my emails, see the subject line. I understand it. And some of these watches, like the Samsung watch, have a camera. Which I, is... I don't even know what that would look like. I'm still getting used to people around San Francisco wearing Google Glass and taking pictures with their head. Now they're going to take pictures with their wrist also in, in a very strange angle. If you go to the Samsung site and you look, the camera is like halfway around the band. Yeah, most of those photos are going to be tilted in some way. Yeah. And, but the uh, the Sony one is interesting. I don't know if we want to yeah. skip ahead. What so do you I, think about the Sony I one? I watched the video. I think it's maybe five minutes. The first two and a half minutes are how to set it up. <laughs> then it talks about installing applications. This is not... I mean, this is crazy. It's too difficult. It's too weird to put applications from one smart device to another... Yes, and with strange. Sony's long history of easy to install software, I'm sure it's a great pleasure to use. <laughs> oh yeah, to use this watch. I don't. Know, I had a mini disc player. I always thought that was good. <laughs> so the the weirdest watch to me, or the weirdest like business part of this, is Qualcomm producing a watch, and that one is called the Talk. 
Wasn't yeah, it? it is called, it's spelled talk. T-O-Q, because uh, things ending in Q, which could be a whole other podcast, high-tech names that end in Q is the new high-tech name that used to end in R. So the talk uh, uses this, it, it's the only watch that uses reflected light rather than light where the, where the watch glows, which I think is a plus. You know, so your watch is not glowing while you're out at night and the battery goes dead instantly. They call it Mirasol technology. Um, and somehow they have full motion video, I don't know why you'd want this, full motion video on your watch, but with no backlight. It's like a reflected mm. technology, so you could have like, it's a comic book kind of look. Yeah, it's, the Qualcomm is not a consumer product. They're just, it's showcasing their technology. Yeah. They're not going to make a hundred thousands of of these but they want to show they have the technology and then hopefully an actual hardware manufacturer whoever whether it's a technology company or or a watch company will use their technology to make that consumer product yeah apparently the only place you can get is at hardware trade shows yeah. and it, it's it's list price is over three hundred dollars yeah i think it's between 300 and 350 for a very ugly watch <clears throat> Um, but it is cool to, I mean, I, I guess you could see something with reflective technology, the battery doesn't go dead. So I'm going to ask David about his Pebble watch, since we're talking about batteries going dead. Is, yes, it, the number, is the watch alive right now? It is alive right now. The number of times I have left my apartment without having seen my watch yet, and I look down to see what time it is, see when the bus is coming, and the watch is dead. <laughs> and this, this is, happens this is David's Pebble watch. Over and over again, and that's my biggest issue with the smartwatch concept is we were never trained to begin charging our cell phones. Cell phones from the day one had to be charged. So I lived my whole life wearing watches and I have to rewire my brain to think, okay, going to sleep, charge phone, charge watch. Yeah. And it's very difficult to, to, to grasp that lifestyle change. Yeah, it's not like 1960 when people would wind their watch in the morning. Yeah. And, I mean, there's there's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's cool because, you know, I've got Mario on my screen and every time the minute change, he jumps and bumps into a block, like in the game and the number changes. But otherwise, um, it, it seems like a very alpha product. I wouldn't even say beta. The fact that my iPhone constantly says, we think that we see this pebble thing. Would you allow us to communicate with it? Well, yeah, I told you to communicate with it an hour ago. So why did, now, wasn't the whole thing about this... The e-paper technology, the Pebble uses the, the same display as like a Kindle, you know, the Kindle Paperwhite, in that it's supposed to use very little power. That apparently isn't the case. Well, I suppose no matter how great the screen is, you're still powering a live Bluetooth or, you know, often active Bluetooth radio. Yeah. Even the whatever low-power Bluetooth, I mean, the thing dies after a couple days. And is it, it's not low-power power, it's probably not low-power Bluetooth in this model, is it? I'm not sure. Okay. I yeah, believe I mean, it is. I this believe is... they announced that after raising the money that said, oh, and by the way, we're going to switch to oh, low-power. Okay. Yeah, raising $10,266,845 that we all paid for the Pebble Watch to be built. Yes, I paid for it. I was very excited, but the fact that... Um, you know, I'm installing. I have to install watch faces from my phone, and the phone UI makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, it's very confusing, and and also it's just not very reliable. Push notifications don't come in most of the time, and when they do, if you get a second one, the first one's gone. I can't, you know, just, <laughs> you can't go through them one at a time. They just override each other. Maybe you can, but I haven't figured out how to. And maybe the watch needs more buttons. 
Well, they got a lot of buttons. They're huge buttons. That's the other thing. I mean, this thing suffers from computer box on my wrist syndrome. Yeah. As opposed to watch that can do cool things. And actually, like the 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 idea of having this big box on your wrist is not a new one. There, there's been a few. Charles Moore has sort of come out. The the founder, former chairman of Intel, author of Moore's Law talking about his Microma watch, which is a smart, the first smartwatch. It was built in 1978, and which he still wears, apparently. Uh, he calls it his $15 million watch because it took $15 million in R&D to build it, and it didn't work. It was the, in the 70s was the first time that processors got small enough to fit in a watch, and so we saw lots of attempts at wrist-borne computing efforts. Yeah, was the, that was when gadgets gadgets really really took off yeah and we like in the 80s we had many of us may remember the casio watches mine had i think 50 buttons on it i could do square roots in the 80s yeah i i was rocking a calculator watch in 1999 i absolutely had that that calculator watch also (laughs) in in elementary school i also had the tv remote control watch which meant if we watched movies in school i could turn the tv off who oh it had infrared yep and you, can program it remember. To, uh, yep. uh, you can program it to control VCRs and televisions. It was kind of an arms race between Sharp and Casio to see yeah. who could have the most buttons and the most features on the watch, yep. which appears and TV remote. repeating itself now, 20 years later. The great giant red button on it for the record. Is that something you do so often on your wrist? <laughs> right. I need to record, need to record this program right now. <laughs> My favorite thing about the Casio watch was the beeping that it made when you used the calculator. You, like I know. Everyone knew you were cheating on a test because it just beep, beep, beep. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm just going to inconspicuously do some math on my watch. Beep, 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 Did you ever beep. set the passcode on it? The passcode? It had a security feature, so you would have to type in a four-digit passcode oh, well, to so access So basically, nothing is new. There's yeah. no... There's <laughs> no... And back in the 70s also, remember, um, in science fiction, this is the era in which... Uh, Green Lantern became popular mm-hmm. with his ring, uh, the, maybe the first most fabulous wearable technology. James Bond had a lot of wearable technology, yes. as did Dick Tracy. Yeah, Dick Tracy, which is, now we've all revisited Dick Tracy as the smartwatch. Don't forget, get smart. Get yes. smart, yes. Doctor Who, Sonic Screwdriver. Right. My favorite in the 70s, Electro Woman and Dyna Girl. I would encourage all listeners... To go to YouTube immediately or go to the blog post yeah, associated. Link in the show notes. Yes, please watch the Electrocomp that they wore, which was a large wrist worn box that would do all things. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great misunderstanding of what technology is. There's, there's these conflicts between the two characters, and they were just like blindly jamming buttons on this <coughs> massive, massive watch. This massive like wrist thing, and <laughs> lightning bolts would fly out. It was. It could change your clothes. It could tra- teleport you. I think. It could do lots of things. So- that was back when, when, computers saying something was like had a computer chip in it was just like also saying that it was magical. Yeah. Was, there was no difference Which between is, the two. Is there a difference now? I mean, these watches are sort of presented as magical things. Did anyone see the uh, new Matt Damon movie, Elysium? No. Well, there's a character who has a smart bracelet that can do all sorts of fun things, and what they got somehow was to say, 
Bulgari on it. Oh yeah. See that's what I somehow meaning Bulgari paid lots of money. <laughs> There's also yeah. a Bugatti car in this <clears throat> that flies. So that's interesting. There's also Bulgari uh, water. Do oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, those is that both, as delicious as Trump water? It's it's the same as <laughs> uh, Pellegrino water. It's yes. The, so they're into branding. Um, and, and for those of you who don't live in San Francisco, Google Glasses have now invaded San Francisco. You'll unfortunately not be able to go out without seeing some fool wearing these glasses around. And when you say go out, you also mean go out to bars. People yeah. wear them in bars, these bright, shining white pieces of plastic. People wear them to brunch. People wear them at the gym. Yeah. In the, which in, is really oh, weird. in the gym is really bizarre. Yep. And probably inappropriate. Since it takes pictures, in the mor- for some reason wearing them in the morning seems the most bizarre to me. Because mm-hmm. it's too early to compute. So I have a friend who uh, works at a uh, video game company here in San Francisco. They're all excited because they just received the first shipment of the Oculus Rift glasses. And Another it's more, very good video. It's more, yeah, the video is terrible. It's more like a... <laughs> it's more like a like a headset or, or a mask. It looks like a scuba mask or something. That one's the one that's very gaming-centric, right? Yes. He described a game, I mean, I don't want to give away too much, but where the people are sitting in an office chair, and in the game, you're also in an office chair. Nice. Well, that sounds exciting. At the end of the day, when I come home, after sitting in an office chair <laughs> for nine hours long, in front of all screen. I want to do is somehow create some simulated environment where I'm sitting in an office chair. Right. And grab, like, yeah. Sorry, you go. No, and wear like a, a big, heavy headset that is one, with the screen one inch from your eye. I can only imagine it. I have a pair of Beats headphones, and they're massive, and they are fantastic in that I won't break them, but so fatiguing to actually wear because they're heavy. Just wearing those for an hour, I need to take them off. I can't imagine having this device strapped this massive, massive Because all the weight is on the front of your head. Sure, it's very comfortable. Yeah. This reminds me of the movie, and again, I guess this all ties back to cool technology you see in movies, uh, Disclosure, mm-hmm. with Michael Douglas and Demi Moore. And for some reason in that movie, a bunch of characters had to use some kind of virtual reality helmet to access databases. That's right. And go that through five that was kind of a blip in TV and movies. There was a time where everyone had to have VR helmets. Yes. And then there was... You know, the reality would bleed between the VR and real- and the murderer would oh, kill in one realm man. or another. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the, so have you, have you guys seen also the ads for the Meta glasses whose logo looks like the word meth? I don't know if that's... <laughs> Are they blue? Yeah, it's, the meth glasses or Meta glasses show like really earthy women making pottery using VR and having a nice time in the real world. You were showing it to me, and I, the whole time I was going back and forth whether it was a parody or not. Because they're <laughs> ridiculous looking, so it's kind of like maybe some someone at Funny or Die put together these and just like strapped things onto the glasses. And the obviously everything that they do in the video has been animated. They're not, there's, there's no actual... Yeah, there's, for this. there's a high parody quotient of the of the video. Right. And and just for kicks, they throw in the 3D printing. Yeah, because you have to... Right. The, the thing, too, about... There's, like, like, the line between VR and reality in those terrible old movies. There's now, like, a line between 
marketing videos and fantasy and somehow mediated by Kickstarter where a product could be just fantasy or somewhere in between and th- I, I don't know if the meth slash meta glasses are real or a video fantasy. Cause I well, I like that it. video, that, that scene where they, they use the MakerBot or whatever 3D printer as if we're supposed to accept that's now a poor, normal normal part of society. Right. Yes. Like in the Duracell video when the mother can't find her child and pushes a button on a device and then the child runs out of the trees. Right. That's not normal. <laughs> we need to go back and investigate right. it's what true. That, what's happened well, there. There's, Duracell didn't make that happen. It's not that she had a battery and that saved her yeah. child's life. Something's in that kid's head. Now, this is all, of course, uh, from a Bill Burr routine, but I just think it's hilarious. Like, wait a second. She just 3D printed a vase, put it on her mantle. That's not normal yet. Right. We need to investigate right. that. Right. But that's actually, in this video, that's the old technology. It's an, ama- yeah. it's, it's an amazing then- pain point that doesn't exist. Like, I'm going to watch it and... Be- be like, oh god, it is really inconvenient to do all this 3D printing, like sitting down in front of my computer. <laughs> I need to be crazy yeah, I need to be standing. I need to be wearing glasses, and I then need I can these make these glasses so that I can make my 3D printed pottery. Like right. the last vaporware is now meet increased in productivity by the new vaporware. Um, okay. Hey, so I want before we run out of time on our podcast, I wanted since we talked earlier about this low. Power Bluetooth solution. Uh, iOS seven. I don't know why no one has really talked about this or why it was barely covered by Tim Cook in the in the announcement. But these iBeacons thing. Well, is this also part of the new hardware in one of the iPhones? Yeah, because it's, it's not in the iPhone five. Yeah, you're, they announced that iBeacons is coming. They haven't actually yeah. said how, but of course, all the blogs, every like basically every sector, retail, industrial, all these fake vaporware devices are now claiming to be forward-looking compatible with iBeacon. Even though we don't know much about it yet? We know only that it is a new Bluetooth standard that has a little bit more range and uses not much power at all, so when you're in the store, they can tell that you're like in front of the underwear rack at that moment and, and send you yeah. coupons. What's funny is this week they also had PayPal also announced a very similar piece of hardware that they're pushing that you just plug right. in your store and then you can do all these magical things. Yes. Well, there's the store transponder. This is actually kind of frightening because as you have all this wearable computing and you have the cell phone in your pocket, there are now these transponders that cost apparently 50 to $90 where it's stuck on a physical location like the underwear rack or like the like candy rack. And when you approach it, it starts sending, bombarding all the devices that you're wearing on your wrist, on your head, and in your pocket with uh, messages. Well, You're taking you a very cynical person. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. Tell me. The, my defense of iBeacons is I just want to be able to find stuff when I'm in a store. I, this could be a, an amazing in-store experience where I am on my phone and I'm trying to find something. And I don't have to track down an employee. And employees don't feel like they have to continuously ask me, can I help you with something? They wouldn't help anyway, so yes. Okay. <laughs> that, that's it. I, I don't want to talk with people. I just want to find what I'm looking for. And so if I'm in the store, I can pull up their mobile website, pull up their app, whatever, and find that it. will, I, this is what I want. Yes, that's This useful. is where I am. It is useful. It can pull up the store map. It can tell me where to go. And you might get some coupons also. And I think it also simplifies <clears throat> the payment process because right now, companies like Square, you open up the app, and you say, I'm at Blue Bottle Coffee. Then when you go to pay, the Blue Bottle employee says, oh, I see your face. They tap on your face and you pay. Right. So there's less friction. 
Now, I don't even need to open Square or say where I, they just know I'm in the store. They can see my face, and maybe I just put my thumb on something. Yeah. On for my for listeners pay. not in San Francisco, <laughs> we did actually just talk about Blue Bottle Square and new features for iOS 7 right after talking about wearable computing. I guess right? people that don't live in San Francisco? <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is all normal day to day activity. You say, put it on my, you know, you say your name, and they just tap on your face on the app, and you pay. The one thing it has going for it is you can turn it off. If you don't want to deal with these messages coming in, it'll probably be an opt-in model. Like, if, if you remember when, when Bluetooth was widely deployed in these devices, and all your devices were discoverable by default, you'd be walking through airports and train stations, and these JC Deco billboard boxes, these LCD billboard boxes, would start sending Bluetooth requests to you, saying like, you know, Coca-Cola would like to share a file. And you didn't, if you said yes, this Coca-Cola video would start downloading and playing on your machine. Yeah. Like that, I think that opt-in will prevent that in this case, but it seems like the low power Bluetooth messaging is similar to the old high power Bluetooth messaging. Except now it's messages instead of requests to share. One more thing that I would say in defense of iBeacon, and we'll see like the use cases we don't know yet, but if it could mean that I never have to see our QR code again... Oh my god. I, <laughs> see, I, I hope that most <clears throat> listeners don't even know what a QR code is. Well, so. I hate to tell you guys this, but apparently QR code reading is built into the camera app in the new iOS 7. No. So, so it will never, no. QR may never die. That's no, my, that's, that's the so thing. sad to hear. That's the thing that scares me about Google Glass, is that could really take QR codes, like, if, if there was a consumer glasses product, QR codes would be all over the place. Yes. And QR codes, you know, it's currently like $50 to produce a a low power Bluetooth beacon to stick on the candy rack in the store, it actually costs almost about one cent to print a QR code. Oh, QR codes. There's yeah. a great place in uh, in San Francisco in the Ferry Building for tourism. There's a little spot you can walk up to, and it's literally a wall of QR codes. Oh, each yeah. QR code is a different thing you can learn about in the city. And it's the, a little crazy. And the most comical part is tourists pointing, like, Fighting to point their phones at the QR yeah, box, right. and if they have an iPhone, I begins I begins can get rid of it. We can I can be walking around a museum and I can have my audio tour, and I don't need to follow any direct route. Just when I get to yep. this part, it tells me you know that section of it. I can don't have to follow the and tour. the tours can be built in HTML. That's right. Well, <laughs> Apple, I guess they succeeded in killing NFC, or what? supposedly <laughs> no. it was almost dead. It was, I don't know. I don't think they killed it. Is it still in every Android It's in phone all the Android out? phones, but it appears... The problem with NFC, you know, Tim Cook's comment, or an Apple executive's comment, that uh, they're not going to include NFC in iPhones because you don't want to be in the store bumping into things. You have to get so very close. You have to be inches from the NFC transponder to get the signal. So it appears as though this iBeacon thing, because you get an extra few feet, it will supplant NFC because it's lower power. Well, there's still there's no clear winner for NFC. What is like the big solution that is compatible with every phone? I, or... I guess it was to be checkout. You know, it's you... like Google Wallet on Sprint, Android four on this phone. It's like how how you know how is that going to grow to become? Yeah, I, I think so NFC popular. is not going to succeed with iBeacon. Left. Because including both on the phone is, and Apple has said just like Flash, we're not going to support NFC until it dies. 
So if they succeeded in killing Flash, they might kill NFC. That's true, but let's also remember that Apple has said a lot of things were completely unnecessary, like tablets. And yep. then a year later, <laughs> hey, guys, check out this fancy new iPad. Or phones with, or tablets with small screens, especially. Yeah. Right? Remember the famous comment, only if you need to file your finger down, that kind of thing. And yeah. So yeah, so we can expect maybe bigger screen phones from Apple at some point. And well, that's a whole other podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of other podcasts, um, uh, we're wrapping up this one. We're coming up on the half hour mark. So I'll remind listeners to contest, contact us at landscapemode at moveweb.com. We thank our generous sponsor, MoveWeb, for the Landscape Mode podcast. And right before we go, since we've been very cynical about wearable computing for the past half an hour, let's just go around and 10 years are the. Will these actually be a thing? Are they going to figure... Like, obviously, we all think that the prototypes that are out there now don't work. Glasses, watches, whatever. In 10 years, are they going to figure this out, or is it going to be the cell phone holster? I think it's going to be the cell phone, but the only thing that will be figured out is rollable displays. So you'll be able to roll or fold a bigger display into your cell phone. I think the we've left out another very successful portable uh, wearable technology, the Jawbone. I mean, that that they've sold millions of those, and that's not made <clears throat> acceptable, but they work. And I, and if you also in Elysium, another thing they wear, everyone wears these little things in their ears that talk to you. And just like in the Ender's Game series, I like to think that Siri will be in my ear. So it doesn't have to be a screen, but it could be something that I communicate with and communicates with me very subtly in, in uh, society. Sounds frightening. So you think they will figure it out, and we will be using them? I think, well, also, I mean, the phone is wearable technology, and they figured that out. No, I mean, um, I do think there will be something. I don't know if it's going to be on my wrist, and I don't know if it's going to be a computer in a box on my wrist, but uh, maybe we'll all be uh, wearing glasses. Or Just nose to... rings, I don't know. Uh, the watch will never work. I won't ever wear a watch that just gives me notifications. It's not that hard to pull my cell phone out. The glasses are appealing. I wear glasses all the time, but Google Glasses isn't appealing. I like the comment about the uh, something in my ear. You know, I don't. I've never worn Bluetooth, but if it was inconspicuous, I could put it in there. Still be talking to myself. That's a little, but. No, I, I just don't think I need to... Wasn't that the whole point of the smartphone? It could do everything for me? That was this, that was what I was promised. Yes. I don't need to carry anything else ever again. It's the Electrocomp from Electro Woman <laughs> and Diner Girl. It does all things, so you don't need another device. All right. Um, so please keep... Uh, I, I'm sorry we don't get to have time this week to, to thank the listeners in our new locations because I have not checked the location map, but we'll do it next week. In the meantime, uh, send us an email... And we'll see you next week on the landscape mode. I'm Mike Gilbert. Now I'm Justin again. Yeah. Bye. Have see you next week. <laughs>